0: This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now it's time to decentralize. Let's uh, let's get ourselves started. It looks like we're just past the uh, top of the hour. If you're new here, welcome. This is TGIFDCT. Uh, We gather here in the Decentralized Trials Club every Friday from 12 to 1 Eastern, 9 to 10 Pacific, and we cover a range of different topics related to decentralized clinical trials. As we just chatted about, in weeks past, that's been anything from interoperability and digital health technologies to patient experience and improving diversity and equity and access. Um, These topics come from you, the audience, so keep those topics coming in. This week, I'm excited because we have a couple of friends joining us. Uh, Angela Radcliffe from Bristol Myers Squibb, uh, Richard Young from Viva Systems, and Mayank Anand from GSK. And we're gonna be picking up a conversation that will thread around an article that Richard had authored. Um, I'm going to drop a link to that article in a moment on the top of the screen, so if you didn't get a chance to see it, you'll find it there in just a moment. But to get ourselves started, I'd like to welcome Angela Radcliffe and welcome to TJFTCT. Could you introduce yourself for anyone in the audience that doesn't know you, Ange?
1: Sure, sure. So Angela Radcliffe, I, uh, boy, I've been kicking around the clinical trials space for about 25-ish years now. Uh, Spent the early part of my career in uh, patient engagement and moved then into the data world. And then finally now I'm heading up enterprise digital innovation at Bristol Myers Squibb as part of the global digital strategy team. So lots of uh, different ways to attack all of the different valuable challenges we have in our space. And for those I haven't met, uh, really, really nice to be here with you today.
0: So, and thinking about enterprise digital strategy at BMS, so you're picking up some of your legacy work around the clinical trial space. But what are some of the challenges you're looking at more broad than clinical research today, as you're as you're looking at that from an enterprise perspective?
1: Yeah, it's really broad ranging. You know, um, Bristol Myers Squibb uh, is you know plays in a lot of the traditional therapeutic areas, but also in in cell therapy, and so our global product supply. Chain, um, like like with most pharma right now, uh, supply chain is a really hot topic and looking at how we continue to advance there and, and really think differently. Um, we touch the whole entire commercialization uh, side of things. So when I think patient engagement now, I don't just think, how do we get patients into trials? I think about what is that long-term experience for a patient um, from the very first time they might be introduced to a clinical trial and an investigational therapy all the way to how can we surround our patients with around the pill and beyond the pill solutions, digital medicine, software as a medical device, um, things like that. So really, um, holistically, my job is to to sort of connect the dots between all of these enterprise issues that sometimes we think about in their own functional silos and, and try and attack that with sort of the agility we need to pair digital and data, which is, is really sort of inextricably interwoven in our space.
0: I feel like you've, de- you've described that before, Ange. That was a, a very nice, succinct um, overview of some of the areas you're touching right now. Let's, um, let's bounce over to the gentleman whose words on the page helped to inspire this week's topic, Richard Young over at Viva. Richard, uh, take a moment, introduce yourself for the audience.
2: Yeah, good morning, good afternoon, and first of all, thanks, Craig, for the invitation, and thanks, Mike and Ange, for joining. Uh, But for those who don't know me, my name is Richard Young, and I'm the uh, Vice President of Strategy for Vault CDMS. I've been in data management for about 25 years, uh, to the point where I probably should stop counting and revealing that number. But uh, I've always been in data management, dedicated to data management, and I'm now uh, heavily vested in developing technologies to hopefully make data management
3: better.
0: Fabulous. In a moment, Richard, I'm, I'm going to ask you about your inspiration for writing this particular piece, but I do want to call out for folks in the, in our community here today. I did drop the link for Richard's article. It should now appear about a third of the way down on your screen next to his handsome face. Since he's apparently camera shy with your profile on Clubhouse, I found a way to uh, backdoor in and get, a, get your picture up there anyway, Richard. Um, so folks, make sure you Click that link, and you, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at it, you can certainly read it uh, later on today. Um, I'm also pleased to welcome Nan, who is quoted in that particular article by Richard. Mayan, take a moment, introduce yourself for the audience.
4: Hi, everyone. This is Khan here from India. And yes, it is late night for me, but I'm still enjoying it, and I see a lot of people from India joining this uh, session. Uh, I work at GSKs uh, Vice President, and Global Head of Data Strategy and Management, catering uh, to data management, centralized monitoring, and data analytics, data acquisition, data standards, and S D T M. And I think so. That's why I'm much closer to this topic because as an organization, we are moving towards this. Um, our, my peer Mo Ali is very well involved into this strategy along with me, and he's industry voice too. And we are trying to define what is needed for asked to go into this direction. We are trying to define, is our president infrastructure ready to support this strategy in long run? And that's where we are. And I think mm-hmm. so this is the right time to have a discussion, get some perspective. And when I was talking to Richard, that, that snippet, what he has taken for his article was very interesting, because I said we have 10 to 15. And today, I realize I have up to 25 external data providers. We are struggling with them just imagine we go into dct where i have 15 20 30 new sources of data we are not standardized how we will be able to ingest that data into our system and is it going to create further complications for our data management staff to clean this data to review this data and also make sure that aggregation is happening at the right time so all those things are there in my mind i wanted to explore that discuss on it so what do you correct
0: thanks so much that's a great introduction and um By the way, Mayank, the reason you have a little party favor on your profile is that's an indicator that I think you're new to Clubhouse. So welcome. uh, Welcome aboard. Thank you. Richard, let me bounce back over to you. Could you um, could you share a little perspective for the audience on why you wrote this particular piece? What was the challenge you were seeing in the ecosystem that made it important to consolidate some thinking here?
2: Yeah, thank you, and, and I promise I will fix my profile. I'm also relatively new to Clubhouse, uh, so I will definitely get you a picture before now, but uh, thank you for correcting that. I think you know, the article really was was born out of a number of conversations, and I have to pay thanks to Mayank for helping shape some of that thinking, but also just talking to other various leaders of data management and organizations like the SCDM, and and, and frankly, people like yourself, Craig, listening to this a bit. My, my article is born really from a couple of asks of the industry. One is to actually define what digital is. And I think of digital in terms of a digital strategy as the, the how, you know, how is trial data going to be collected, shared, used? And I think the second definition that was really important was to think about what decentralized means. And for me, decentralized is very much the where. It's the, the operating model that drives where trials and procedures are, okay, are conducted. And then I really would love to get to the point where, as an industry, we start to connect those two strategies, but also, I was seeing a lot of talk about those strategies in the absence of other key directives so for example there was there was a real lack of discussion around adaptive trials within those discussions and so really, what I wanted to do was begin a conversation which which we seem to have done, which is great, but to begin a conversation where we talk about bringing operational goals together with scientific goals, being able to design the trial you really need and want, and the trial is optimum for our patients and for our our organizations. And then also having a parallel conversation about then how we can execute those trials effectively. And I wanted to make sure those things stayed together. And so the paper was created really to spark that conversation.
0: So, Richard, the the how and the where, I think, are a great way to frame this, and they're so dependent on one another. uh, Our entire ability to shift the where beyond the traditional research site is entirely dependent on our ability to shift the how that we're acquiring data. And today, it feels like some of that has been a heavy reliance on ePRO, maybe rethinking consent to enable that to be... Uh, electronic and more broadly enabled, but those feel like it's just the tip of the spear. When you're thinking about the how, what are what's the diversity feeling like? Uh, and Mayank had mentioned uh, two dozen now plus different external data providers. Can you give a few examples of the how and the diversity of data uh, sourcing that you're seeing today and, and trending? Definitely.
2: And can I just check you can hear me? Okay. Is is my yeah,
0: sound okay? You sound just fine, Perfect. thanks.
2: Perfect. Um, I mean I think I think if the how and and I want to split that into a couple of questions. How in terms of the, the variety of data is it just an ever expanding topic? I mean we think about the classic ePro and ECOA data, central laboratories, biomarkers. We're also reaching further and further into electronic health records genomics other omics data we're also reaching into the world of sensors when we think about uh, footsteps and heart rate and ecg readings and and to be honest the list will go on and on and on and and i see no end to the expansion of the sources that we could consider both structured and unstructured in their nature but i think there's another sense of how i'm keen to explore and that's really that how we collect it within a clinical trial platform And one of my big drives to to kind of define what digital and decentralized are is, I want to change the concept of a protocol. I want to see us change actually what happens with patients. It's not just about using more ePro and doing more things at home. It's bringing flexibility to patients so that we can scale this across different therapeutic areas so that patients have true choice. Sometimes they come in, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they stay at home, sometimes they go to a clinic, but they're always capturing the same data and it's becoming a data set within a broader holistic data set is one that we can review in a natural way because I think as Mike mentioned 25 data sources if we're just going to keep adding more and more data sources we're not solving the problem We're, we're gathering data in more imaginative ways but in a way we're being drawn to the shiny object in the sky and we're failing to notice the basics which is if we can't use this data in a rapid way, you've got to question whether we are actually being successful. We're gathering better data, great, but surely part of gathering better data is to make faster, more confident decisions. Well, if we can't do that, I want to come back to that first principle of have we really been successful for our patients and for our research goals? And that's really what I was trying to question is in the paper and that's really why I divide the how into those two areas, Greg.
0: Mike, you had mentioned a, a moment ago, as far as the range of external data providers that you're touching today and needing to develop strategies to manage going forward, is is it primarily the concern right now around speed for you? Can we get this data in house and manage it in a way that can support faster, better decisions? What are some of the challenges that you're facing from a just a, a data strategy perspective uh, with all these different data sources today?
4: So uh, Craig, one is definitely speed. Uh, I think so in the present situation, and yesterday I was talking into the state of industry for scdm where I mentioned that this is a new world where speed and accuracy are going hand in hand. And I think so speed is becoming a center of it because every organization wants to reach to patients faster. There's a need, there is a, I will, I will say there is a demand from the patient community to have those medicines and vaccines available to them. So speed is definitely there. More than speed is the ways of working to handle this data. If we are not standardized, the amount of effort we are putting behind to make it standard is huge. And I can say up to 20, 30% effort just goes manually standardizing all this together. And the third, the most important one is the veracity of the data. When we are getting into different sources, we are finding out different uh, instances where data itself is a problem. And now we are so much busy in standardizing it, the data quality becomes secondary and can get compromised. Uh, recently, we were talking to the Global Biopharma Forum and someone from Merck and other organizations also raised a similar concerns that how we can bring quality to this data because we are too much focus at this point of time in standardizing it so it is also a matter of our focus shifting because of this uh, non-standard way of getting all this information together so for making a decision for a study it is so important that speed accuracy as well as the way data is consumed is very much aligned to each other we should have a platform which should give us that flexibility and help all our IAS and other timelines to be speed up by right decisions, so I think so that's where we are struggling and that's what we are trying to resolve with future strategies
0: thanks Mayank. and you've been um, well you've been a champion and enthusiast as well for uh, for the range of data we can start to engage around um, are you what, what are your thoughts as you're hearing this conversation so far and in particular around the the different data types that folks are starting to um, want to pull together the diversity around that.
1: Yeah, um, th- there, are, there are so many different uh, thoughts um, that I could add here. You know, one of the things I really appreciated from Richard's article was this concept of standards not being enough. and um, And I couldn't agree more on sort of this concept of being concerned about the veracity of data because we can have speed of ingestion and we can we can improve our our data management, our ways of working, we can put some frameworks in place in our own organizations to do that. But as the diversity of the data types start to really advance and as, you know, uh, I think there was also sort of a theme of never finished in that article uh, as far as we're just seeing an explosion now. But as we look towards new trial models, adaptive trials, et cetera, the data sources are only going to increase and yet, in our own organizations, we're still struggling even with real-world data as a concept in many cases, right? So I think the other thing to look at here beyond sort of data sources, the standards, the veracity is the organizational readiness. Um, We talk a lot, right, in decentralized trials, topics and conversations around change management um, and what that's going to mean, not just to patients, but to our organizations. But this theme of organizational readiness around data management and really started starting to get our arms around not just the why and the how but the what um, so that we avoid creating say another technological solution, just a platform, for example, without looking at those threads related to organizational readiness, I think that's a big big risk for us as organizations um, and and so, when I you know harken back to some of the early suggestions in the article around, for example, the way that we, we look at metadata and how that could help us um, look at both veracity and improve agility to how we're looking at the data we're bringing in in real time. I think there, there's a lot to continue to explore on that front, um, but at the same time, if we're not looking at our organizational readiness um, you know, our data governance practices, for example, uh, you know, a, an area that I headed up right before I moved into this role at BMS. There's a lot of work to be done there as well to prepare ourselves for sort of the the myriad of challenges facing us with this particular topic. I don't know if I answered your question precisely there, Craig, but, um, but like I said, lots of juicy things to to pull on here today.
0: Definitely. and you know, Change readiness, uh, culture, these are such pervasive themes and it's so important to keep bringing that back, especially into that experience that you had thinking about and trying to implement data governance at the enterprise level. No doubt having to coordinate across a number of different traditional silos in an organization trying to drive some sense of alignment in this area
1: yeah for sure i mean when i when i think back to sort of my time in data governance one of the pervasive topics that came up regularly was how how are we treating data from the moment it hits our ecosystem and now looking back sometimes you know so are we wrapping the right are we ingesting with the right metadata so that we can can act um, quickly from the insights that that data might generate in our systems of intelligence, but I'm wondering now: is that sometimes the wrong question to ask too? Right? What it's it's more what happens before? Right? What what Richard's brought up in you know in his article and his previous comments is this idea that if we're about trying to make this about patient choice, right, and 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 meeting patients where they are. Um, What happens to that data once it gets to us is sort of the secondary issue. It's how do we create an environment so that we can give patients that choice? And what does that really look like?
0: Some pretty uh, grand challenges for sure. I really like uh, Richard, how you were setting up earlier this theme as well about um, almost a couple of different uh, lenses around this challenge. On the one hand, how do we enable this environment of choice and optionality for patients and how they participate, but also on the back end, how do we make sure then that we are, as study operators, are using this data to make faster and better decisions, maybe for different types of adaptive trial models or other types of more agile study designs. But one theme that I thought was interesting, and Angie just called out, Richard, you you call out that standards are good but not enough. Can you? Can you expand on that for the audience? Um, where are standards solving it and where are standards leaving us wanting?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think makes a, a very good point. But I think when I think about data standards, I think one of the challenges when I look at it is, is when do you look to transform form the data? And you know, in talking to organizations, there's a huge amount of work and effort going into transforming data before you receive it. Well, that's just created a lag between the point that data was generated and the point when it gets used. So I think the first thing to do is separate that. We need to use the data as close to the point of origination of generation as we possibly can. And we worry about downstream transformation in parallel or afterwards. We know we're going to be transforming this data multiple times anyway, so to have solutions where we can use it as close to the point of source as possible, I think is critical. I think also we have to re, re, be respectful of just the technological capabilities of many of the data providers we're working with. You know, We, we are, and, and I hope this is not taken to be inappropriate, but we are working with companies to whom Excel is still considered to be quite a technical solution. You know. When we're talking about transferring huge volumes of data, we need to understand what those providers are capable of doing and at what time so that we can ingest that data quickly, use it quickly and transform it for for future demands. We also need to be, I think, aware of that when you think about getting away from single use data. I need to be able to make sure that data is being used for multiple purposes and probably that's even more true when you think about metadata and operational data. Audit trail data, all of these components need to come together so that we can make those real time decisions with confidence and make the best decisions for our customers and our patients. And I really do think having such a strict view of standards first is potentially slowing us down
0: this is uh i think it's a great perspective to bring in here and i should call out for the uh for folks in the room we will open up for your questions and perspectives in just a few more minutes at the bottom of the hour so if you have a question or an idea um, cook it up and feel free to hit that little hand wavy button in a few minutes and we'll bring you up on on the stage here one last uh question though that i'd like to put back to um to the folks in this room we we do talk a lot about optionality and choice and how do we give patients and research studies the kind of flexibility that we all enjoy as consumers today that today i want to order delivery of dinner from the restaurant and tomorrow i want to be able to go in to i want to see my doctor in the office one day because it it the high touch makes me feel better and I, maybe i have concerns but for another visit video is going to work best for me because of other things going on in my life but richard i imagine when we're thinking that way as it relates to clinical research in in your mind that just expands the universe of data sources with almost a a certain level of redundancy that we'll need to have to be able to accommodate all the different directions that a patient may be headed for for sharing their data in a research study is that is that where this this clash of data sources and patient choice are, are kind of running into each other.
2: I, I definitely think so, Craig, and I think it's, I think it's something you've got to embrace. So, you know, from my perspective, developing a solution in, in data management usually started, and for me, it did start with EDC. And, and probably one of my first regrets is the fact that we called it EDC because it. it I think calling a product EDC just it locks you into a certain view of usage. And I think what we now have to be prepared to do as software developers, but pharma companies and partners, is start to forget titles a little bit and start to think about what are we actually trying to achieve? Because what I don't want to do is live in a world where, you know, depending on the the decision a patient makes to come in or stay at home, I don't want to have to collect the data in multiple places for, for sure, but I don't want to have to collect it in one place every single time. I don't wanna be so prescriptive that we take away options. and I don't wanna have a reconciliation nightmare if we do have that flexibility. We've gotta be able to, I think, bring our systems together so that the data flows. And that's not just about collection because I think that's also only part of the problem. What happens when you need to query data? And I know some data collected, for example, through a classic ePro model, perhaps, perhaps you can't query it. But the fact that it generates another outcome it might lead you to question the, the date the patient completed it or, or question an event or a series of events the patient's undergone. That could result in queries. I have to have the, the right mechanism to send that query back to the site to investigate whether this is a, a, an event of clinical significance. And it's that holistic view, I believe, that is really going to be the next big advancement in our thinking. And it's going to start with, with people like me not being protective of the products they've developed. Because we've got to be prepared to reinvent ourselves every ten minutes.
0: I think that is a fabulous um, perspective, Richard, to uh, to share. You know, you you work for a a, a, a large leading data. Uh, technologies provider, right? And so to have that expansive view is is really um, refreshing and important. Mayank, I imagine getting this data together is is probably critical for you, even as you're thinking about risk-based monitoring and so many other uh, quality initiatives uh, to to try and juggle with uh, with that diversity of data for um, for any given study.
4: Yes. And Craig, I wanted to go back on that standardization front. I missed to put a point there. I was thinking I will raise my hand and I realized I cannot do that here. But then I thought, let me tell now. I think so. going back to that standardization uh, perspective is very important. Uh, People are talking about that we should have standards. We should have standards. And it's been going on from last ten years, if I see. But there has been nothing substantial in most of the organization. And the biggest problem is because we are not linking the standards together. We need to have linked standards in the organization, which starts from dash to CDS to Adam to everything for that matter. And it should be a kind of a neural network kind of thing, the way it should be placed. And I think so that's the only way where we can bring more and more standardization. However, from a science perspective, as correctly Richard said, that we cannot say that we, there won't be any option there will be always optionality provided to the science because that's where we are working towards. We need to change and diverse. But the question is that what that diversity or looks like. Is it a necessity or is a science need or it's just a individual aspiration to do that? Also in terms of the samples, what we're collecting, whether it's biomarker samples or any other external data samples, it is to help the science to meet the primary and the secondary end point. But do we really evaluate we need to do that? Or we do need to be so niche in that? I think so. those are the other questions at a science level which are getting asked and which are helping us to strategize that we may not create one fit for everyone, but we may customize slightly to fit into it. So I think so. those are the perspective of how the data ingestion will happen in future. And I'm not saying that 100% standardized, but link standardization, slight customization based on science will help us to bring more and more useful data together.
0: Thank you, Mayank. If folks are just joining us, it's the bottom of the hour on TGIF DCT, the Decentralized Trials Club here on Clubhouse. We gather every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern Time to talk about a range of different topics, challenges, themes, around decentralized trials, we have you as our guest co-hosts and the topics coming from you. So if there are uh, considerations that you wanna make sure are on the runway for future gatherings here, let us know, drop an email, text, uh, direct message uh, to myself or my typical co-conspirator here, Amir Kalali, who is currently uh, confined on a United Airlines flight. I'm thrilled that this week's topic data integration and aggregation and the importance of it and the challenge related to decentralized trials uh, was set up this week by Richard Young with his article that he had authored, the link for which you'll find towards the top of your screen here. One other note for our audience, be sure you click around, look at the profiles of different people here in the room, follow uh, folks that look interesting, not just the speakers, but uh, anyone who's here in the room is sharing your interest in this week's topic. Uh, We're going to open things up a bit and see what questions, ideas, concerns you have around this week's topic. And our first guest from the audience is our friend Doug Bain, CTO over at KCR, and I think a well-known person to many in this room. Doug, welcome. Doug, I've got you on mute at the moment, so you'll just have to unmute with that little microphone. There you go.
5: I know. So, chief technology officer doesn't extend to how to use Clubhouse, you know. Um, so, thanks, uh, Craig, and it's a very, very interesting topic. So, despite the fact I've got gin and tonic waiting for me, I just had to join it. Um, I think I think there's a couple of points that have been made. Um, the the idea of of link standards, I, I would agree with that. Um, I think we have some standards, you know, C dash SDTM um, ODM as well, um, LO Inc and all these, um, but the ability to bring these standards together is, is a significant challenge. Um, and I would extend that challenge when it comes to taking some of these standards like CDASH and then applying them to a lot of the systems we see today. So if you look at any of the EDC systems, what they do is they take these standards and they significantly supplement them with other meta information. Um, And that tends to be applied in a sort of module by module basis. And what we end up with is quite a mess of meta information in different places that's very difficult to then uh, align to the information you're getting back out. So so this is why I've been on this this mission, as any of you have been bored by uh, of platforms on LinkedIn. So I've got a lot of blog posts about platforms. Um And what I feel quite strongly is about is that we we're desperately seeking platforms that do implement an effective metadata repository that doesn't just say this is a data point and this is um, uh, some very basic information about it. We need to think about how that data point goes through an entire life cycle within a clinical trial, and that starts from the definition of what that data is for a trial. Um, and goes all the way along to the other end where you actually get that, out, that data out of the system. And by doing that, you know, when, as Richard said, you know, that makes things like adaptive clinical trials realistic because you effectively say, I'm going to take that data, I'm going to clean that data, I'm going to process that data as quickly as you possibly can and not be limited by silos or, uh, you know, relatively complex integrations in order to get your data to the destination point. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of agreeing, but I'm also maybe asking a question to the the very intelligent people in the call. Do you guys feel that maybe the idea of a platform combined with a metadata repository, a global metadata repository, is one of the answers to bringing all this data together effectively?
0: Richard, would you like to? Uh try for Doug's question first on platform plus global metadata repository as a possible solution.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I I think uh, as often, Doug, you're spot on. I think where I, where I might draw a slight different comparison is, is I wonder if a platform doesn't need to become a metadata repository. So rather than talking about connecting the two, I, I wonder if the two actually need to marry and become one. And I think if, if you look at the way we we and an industry we is trying to use metadata, then I think we have to do more and more. But for me, connecting those standards by using metadata, which means it can be automated, is critical. You know, I I think we transform the data many times, as I said, but I don't think each of those steps has to be a manual starting from scratch. You know, you layer metadata upon metadata with each subsequent step and you reuse that metadata to drive the next step. And why should it stop at SDTM? Why shouldn't it continue to Adam? Why shouldn't we be able to go directly from the point of collection to start populating all of our table shells and figures as we go? There's no reason. We should be able to use metadata to label the state of cleanliness of that data and the steps that it has or hasn't undergone. I think all of that can be highly automated pretty quickly and that's why I think you start to, to look to platforms to erode the unique benefits of an MDR. And that's the way I think the industry will go. And I don't know if we'll take everything an MDR does, but I do think the successful platform will have to become more and more MDR-like in its behavior.
0: Ooh, Richard, you had me at Automate in that process as well and uh, being able to draw off of uh, kind of a central resource like that. I really like that. Mayank Ange, I don't know if either of you had a... A build on either Richard's point or any other observation to share on some of the perspective lent by Doug. No takers, Doug Satcher. <laughs> oh my, aunt, Go ahead. No,
4: you know, I I just want to say that I completely align with what Richard just mentioned, and and I think so. Doug, thanks for bringing this up together because I think so. This is one area where we all are breaking our heads together, and we are trying to think what is the best way to do it, but. Definitely completely align on this, Richard. Yeah, I keep, I
1: keep ahead, thinking Amy. there's a an a, a a play for AI here, right? That's where my my digital innovation mind goes. But then I keep having to check myself and, and remember that you know AI models won't be good unless the data is good. <laughs> so it's a little a little bit of a double edged sword for sure
0: well, you know, drop a little of that AI towards automation in that part of the process, and, um, you know, we can check all those boxes. That's right.
4: And, and, and Craig, you know what, uh, the The good part is that we can still have a time to explore this because they're still exploring AI for other needs. So I think so. there is always a possibility to explore, but if I talk it from a present context, it may be not the top priority there to look into.
0: Fair enough. Hey, Doug, I hope you'll uh, pour your gin and tonic, but stick around for the next 20 minutes. It's always great to have your perspective on these topics.
5: Absolutely. If you're a clink, I'm drinking already.
0: (laughs) Now, Jane, it's probably too early for you to uh, open up that bottle of bourbon, but I'm not going to pass judgment. Welcome. Jane, introduce yourself, if anyone doesn't uh, know you, and share your perspective on today's topic.
3: Uh, good morning from the west coast thanks for the invitation to the stage and yeah i'm on coffee over here so my name is jane miles i work for a decentralized trial platform and solutions startup and i'm not a data management expert you guys are so i'm looking for advice on how to help my project teams and clients understand um, data flow using all these new technologies, whether or not you've used sort of a process map modality to help people really understand what you're collecting, where it goes, who touches it, and how to help people through the, the quagmire, I'm gonna call it, of data capture versus data management and what is what. How have you solved for that, especially when some of these new data sources and technologies are new?
0: Great question. Richard is, uh, or Ange, actually, could you jump in? What's a great strategy that Jane could use to help navigate through uh, these data flows, options with people that are not hardcore data scientists?
1: I mean, the, fir- the first the first thing I would say is when I first got into the data space and uh, and I was lucky enough to be, you know, moved over into to the BMS landscape, I was paired with a really brilliant set of information architects. And they taught me everything I needed to know about, conceptual data models and having an opportunity to really use a conceptual data model and to, to to use that as the framework for mapping and really understanding sort of the flow of information in and out of our systems um, where they touch. Now, of course, in a traditional conceptual data model and in a pharma company like ours, um, those models are for our own internal systems. We rarely map sort of outside of our ecosystem. But I think um, a really good place to start is to explore conceptual data models and and not think about things sort of system specific, think about them as system agnostic. Um, Certainly that was a huge education for me and really changed the way that I looked at the information that flows um, through the various different systems and processes within our organization. so, so that that'd be my first tip. My second tip is really just go find yourself an amazing, brilliant information architect who can <laughs> who can teach you uh, all that they know, right? <laughs>
0: uh, Maya, you want to uh, build on that?
4: Yeah, because this is one of the uh, initiatives I'm driving within GSK. Also, that to have one simplified clinical data flow. The problem in past has been that our clinical data flow has been so complicated and complex that people don't want to look into it from education point of view. They just wanted to keep it away. And they just want to see where my data is landing ultimately. And this is very important as a mindset change for people to understand that clinical data flow is equally important as the outputs are. Today, most of the time we are struggling to get the right visualization or extraction is because our data flows are not simplified. It's complicated. So I completely agree that we need to educate people on this very clearly that what the data flow looks like, what touch points are there, where it is diverting, where it is coming straight, where it is crunched, where it is manipulated. And also what is the pain we take to connect all these dots together? I think so If that story can be shared in a very open sense. It will give a fair idea to different stakeholders. And some of these discussions on using customized way of data will go away. And I have seen in a real time example recently that approach has helped us to get a big decision moving forward to simplify our data flow so i completely believe in this that we need to educate people on this but it's just that our systems are so complicated sometimes it becomes a bigger mess to explain them.
0: jane you asked the right question today richard do you have uh, other perspective to lend for jane
2: yeah i think and so. I, I might be getting old school here I, I i've got to tell you i'm a big fan of a whiteboard but I think sitting in front of it and just thinking it through but I tend to think in three levels the, the data flow that uh, Angela and Mike have mentioned absolutely following the data points rather than systems but also you've got to look at it as the user experience flow as well so when you're thinking about how is the user going to interact with that then that can be patients caregivers data managers everyone and then ultimately the study flow itself and as i look at some of the protocols we're reviewing right now with you know seven different cohorts five different populations you've got to be able to realize or got to be able to decide what's realistic to be able to deliver and i think if i have one other piece of advice on that and this is something i hold dear is you know don't let perf- don't let perfection become the enemy of the good we can still do great things even if we can't do everything and i think you know if we strive for perfection every time we will hold ourselves back. But if you can solve a few problems, solve them well. And you know the next time we'll solve more problems. But those are kind of the, the very basic bits of advice I would offer. Fabulous.
0: Hey, Doug, do you have anything you'd like to uh, to lend for Jane other than a gin suggestion?
5: Yeah. yeah, well, I'll go back to the gin suggestion. Um... So that I think it is a very, very good question, Jane, because I think it is one of the challenges. And I think I, I came across this more in the DCT side of things, you know, when you're when you're working with just a like an EDC study, the number of flows, the combinations of flows are really quite straightforward. You don't tend to have to worry too much about it. You set up, you know, and rave your core config or something like that, and then it's static. But with DCT, it's a lot more complicated and it's a lot more complicated in particular for, the additional stakeholders in particular patient. So you need to really think about what is the life cycle and what I tend to model things around and it's not strictly true, but but the patient journey to actually think, right, what are the steps that happen from the very, very beginning, the first uh, elements of data all the way through the life cycle and which stakeholders actually need to have an influence over that data so for example, you might ask a patient to fill out a, a patient diary. Uh, and then you think, actually, where do I want that data to go? And today, typically it would you know drop into a database and someone may or may not look at it towards the end of the study. But I think we're gonna start to see you know, investigators having their responsibility held up where they've got to, got to check it in some form. Uh, but that's a very simple example. Uh, you get many, many other flows of data that come in at different times. Um, and there are different stakeholders in that lifecycle of data that have to you have to be seeing to be uh, manifesting that data to these people to do the review to, to consolidate it and so on. So I found sort of swimlane diagrams quite effective at that, based on you know the templating. But I mean, it's not far from what Richard was saying. You know, when uh, whenever um, you actually meet with clients in the olden days when you could meet with clients, you would have a nice large whiteboard and you grab a pen and you'd start drawing up your sum lines. And that was, to me, one of the most engaging ways to find out how a study is actually going to run, especially a DCT study.
0: Jane, some nice practical suggestions for our pragmatic innovator. Um, Any other (laughs) thoughts there, Jane?
3: I've used, so thank you for advancing my thinking. And I, I will join you at the whiteboard with the swim lanes whenever that is possible. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks Jane, stick around if you're able and let's turn over to Panikos, Panikos Christofi from Science 37. Welcome, introduce yourself for the audience, share your thoughts or perspective on today's topic.
6: Uh, thanks Greg. Uh, my name is uh, Panikos Christofi, I'm a director of product at Science 37. I, I... I'm an SME on uh, uh, here for connected devices and and data. I have to say it's a very interesting discussion today. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of thoughts that uh, align and uh, some that are a bit different. Um, if I'm allowed to, I want to go back to the points that uh, you know Doug and Richard made. Uh, build a little bit on, on on what Doug has said and. Uh, uh, identify uh, some topics that I I agree with Richard and and uh, one that I slightly disagree um, so I, I feel there that there's there's uh, two pathways to the data right and they've both been expressed today and pathway number one is is really you know we're trying to improve um, um standards build standards into the design right and this is what doug is referring to using mdrs to drive uh study design and you you know putting in the appropriate standard like c dash and so forth and i think it's where richard was referring to marrying you know clinical data management systems with an mdr uh, and where i both i agree with both so i think you know, initiatives like CDS 360 are are trying to demonstrate it and have demonstrated to an extent that this study by design is very good, and I think it's also where we can marry in um, good data governance that that, that you know several uh, companies have shown in the past. So, having an MDR as a core to that clinical data management platform allows you to do good data management. Sorry, sorry, good data governance from the point of view of you know change management of It could be the protocol, the standard itself, an extension or a library that you build around the therapeutic area and so forth. And pulling that into some kind of study designer tool or otherwise if you're an EDC or any core or other type of vendor. So that's one pathway and that increases the data quality, the data structure, uh, and make sure that you get good structured data right from the beginning, right? And, 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 And you get benefits all throughout so that's one pathway and i think we're kind of we're almost there we've got all the elements and there's some vendors that that are beginning to enable this but i think where I, the little bit i do disagree with richard is that we haven't gone enough into the mdr uh, uh, capability set to further enable the data governance i think that's the bit that's missing here from my perspective mm-hmm. the other the other perspective the other pathway is really an acceptance that you know we we can't always structure all the kinds of data you know and, and from my perspective i look at connected device data lab data or other real world evidence data where that is a bit harder to do and we have to accept that pathway of the you know transformation ingestion par- transformation but again through 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 the use of of mdr technologies we can start setting um you know a reference model uh, internally, uh, whether that's STTM or HL7, or you know even more complex uh, models like uh, Adam that we refer to, or OMOP for real-world evidence. So having a reference model, loading your data in a temporary space, and doing some kind of mapping. And I've actually seen tools that do AI NML on that, on, on trying to achieve that mapping. They they're not 100% successful. Maybe they're 60 or 70% successful. But it's interesting that that pattern that Angela. Uh, aspire to um, is actually already happening. Our uh, you know, needs improvement. So t- tying all these bits together and then generating a structured data set to to enable enable your data management teams and to enable them in a way that is it's not technical, right? It, it, that it becomes more UI uh, powered, so you can build this workflow uh, through UIs uh, and enable your data managers and make a shift from doing more like Project style, you know, data management of chasing everybody up and trying to get get integrations together and data map and data flow, working to being more of a clinical data scientist uh, data management where you know I can look at my data sets together, put a, a data data review view that spans data like you know maybe labs, EDC and uh, DCT data and make a decision or. To centralized query management, I think these technologies are there, um, and and we have an opportunity in 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 our current uh, time and and with the freedom we're getting due to the COVID awareness uh, enabling new technologies to to accelerate what we're doing in this space. So I would encourage that you know we have all the right elements there to maybe go a bit even more than 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 Doug was referring. So I'm hoping it to be like a. Um, push a little more even than Doug was doing. I know he's been pushing for a long time, but I, I think that uh, the current spot in time would allow us to push even a bit more.
0: Fabulous. Panicos. thanks for uh, sharing today. Doug, are you feeling pushed?
5: Always pushed. Um... So you know, I think there's there's maybe a more a more pragmatic as I get older, and I, you know what I'm trying to push for from that sort of principle is what what I think is is really achievable. You know, um, what I'd like to do is obviously do a lot more, but um, I think uh, the one of the, the the reasons I'm such a big fan of DCT is that to me it's a great catalyst for change in many many areas. You know, not just for the patient, but across the industry and technology. Um, and to me, this is a great opportunity for us to do things that we have not been able to do for the last twenty years. So standardisation of metadata, MDRs, platforms, using the cloud, all that. Uh, I think this DCT is the, the catalyst for that change. So yeah, I am a fan. So uh, Parikos, uh you know, I, I agree with you, um, uh, but I'm also at the same time being pragmatic as what we can actually achieve in, in sort of one one bite.
0: I think it's a valid point that so many of these challenges are—they're not unique to decentralized trials. We've been trying to grapple with different types of digital measurements and novel data streams. EHR feeds into our trials certainly precedes decentralized and has a life of its own outside of decentralized trials. But it is interesting how much banner of uh, of related and codependent change initiatives and opportunities. Richard, do you have other thoughts or perspective based on what Panacos was sharing?
2: I, I, I think we're, we're pretty aligned. I mean, I, I wrote down here about being metadata enabled, I think is the way we're trying to do things. It's, you know, I think as you connect these technologies, which is clearly the key, I think you have to come back to the source of where do we start designing studies? Where do we start um, pressure testing that study and our ability to execute it? You know, is that actually going back as far as the protocol on a protocol authoring tool? Is it an MDR? I'm not convinced. I think you need MDR-like functionalities or MDR functionalities, but I also think you need to go back into the study design and perhaps you go back even further, the stats plan. But as we bring in uh, as we identify the true starting point, I agree. We want to be metadata enabled so that we can push from one to another, not just the standards so that we can create those uh, applications, but also push the data flow. So that's as automated as we can possibly be.
0: If there are any in our audience who are checking their audio signals right now, uh, what the leader from Vivo was saying was metadata enabled, lowercase (coughs) m-e-t-a, uh <laughs> um that's fabulous uh richard Um uh, my and did you have other perspective uh based on what Panikos was just sharing?
4: Nothing from mine Craig.
0: if I could
5: just make one point of clarification, Richard, you said it a couple of times you know I believe that the m d. r is part of a platform, so I wouldn't see it being separate it's to me it's a it's a most fundamental element of a platform because without the MDR, you don't get consolidated structured data that means something. Yeah, I, but
4: but Doug, uh, I think so. Richard's point was, what is the starting point? Uh, and I don't think so. MDR is an answer for that.
1: No, I, I, the
4: answer is basically to go where the protocol design. is. Yeah,
1: trial design. Yep,
4: and it should start. From, yeah, it should start from there.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's something that, you know, if you look back at the, I mean, I, I don't think anyone would mind me saying med, metadata this uh, this time, you know, they did have a protocol authoring tool, but it was a massive jump between the protocol authoring tool and the definition of metadata. Um so I, 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 I like the concept of it, but I think it's really tricky to do. I mean, I, I would take one step away from the forms. One, one of the things I bitched about recently on LinkedIn was this idea of, you, know, you, you see a demo of an EDC build and someone says, oh, I can just pop these fields onto a form and everything's <laughs> great, right? Um, but that's not the solution to me. I think the step back from there is saying, right, what data do we want? And with all the metadata with it and then start building your studies from there that, that to me is is more of the answer I and mean, i know we're short time craig maybe i'll hand you back
0: Mark, would you like to have the last word on this one
4: yeah so uh, one thing i want to let everyone know is that from a pro- trial design time if we can do the right measures the life will become simpler the the, the root cause is coming from there and everyone is now addressing it Yes, you need to have a right trial design. From there you go to your linked data standards and then you talk about the MDR. And I think so these three stitch the story together, but a start point should be trial design. That's what my belief is. And I think so my recommendation is also because we are seeing some good results within our own organization coming from there. And I think so in long run, this will become a better practice within the organizations.
0: I'm so grateful for uh, for everyone for joining this week's conversation. Richard, thank you for uh, for sharing your perspective with that article. It's led to, I think, a really healthy conversation and some shared learning. Mayank, uh, thank you for joining all the way from uh, a late time slot in India and Anj. It's always great to see you over here. We um, clearly have a, a global community here on in decentralized trials on TGIF this week alone, spanning from California to New Jersey to the UK to, uh, to India. And I think it's a reminder that some in our community are facing some unprecedented violence right now. Uh, many of our organizations rely on colleagues in the Ukraine from research sites to skilled technical support helping so much of this technology infrastructure come to life and so um, thinking about our colleagues in ukraine reaching out to those that we uh, are able to certainly to uh, to certainly show our our support i'd like to thank um mayank richard Ange, and of course doug jane and panicos for sharing their perspective stay tuned next week here on the TGIF DCT, we will have our friends from the Digital Medicine Society joining us as we talk about the FDA's draft guidance on digital health technologies. Until then, thank you again and stay well. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. care,